9.30 is the best part of the morning. <laughs> so if you're not there, you're missing out. Oh, good. Well, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you don't know who I am, my name is Michael, and my wife Ellie and I are the pastors here. And man, it's good to be together again, eh? It's good to be together. And uh, you, you might be here this morning thinking, uh, I thought we were doing a series on James. Why are we reading from Genesis? Did anyone pick up on how alike they are when we were reading James 3 last week into James 4? He is talking about the same story. And hopefully this morning you'll see the connection. I, um, last week we, we did uh, James 4, and uh, I only got sort of halfway through, so we, we haven't finished with James 4, we're not moving on to James 5 yet, sorry, um, and I'm probably going further back anyway. So, is that okay? Is anyone enjoying the James series? It's, uh, it's challenging though, eh? In a good way, in a good way though. Right, so the last couple of weeks we have been uh, journeying through James and we've discovered that there are two kinds of wisdom. One type of wisdom is, is, is worldly, it's fleshly. James even says it's demonic. Um, but, here's, but he calls it wisdom still. And I think that's the, the thing that we need to just sort of hold on to there, that James calls it wisdom. Um, and and he's, he's suggesting that this type of wisdom uh, or this type, these types of desires, uh, envy, jealousy, selfish ambition, they will appear like wisdom to the unrenewed mind. So it's a false wisdom appearing real. It seems right to the point that we would even justify ourselves and, and justify that type of wisdom to those around us. Um, uh, you know, think about it. Um, like I've been, has anyone, I'm presumed that I'm probably the only person in the room that's ever felt jealous, but um, let me explain to you what jealousy feels like. Um, when I'm jealous uh, about something, um, never, well not usually anyway, do I go, oh, I'm actually being really jealous right now. Has anyone ever noticed that? Like when you have feelings of jealousy and envy and selfish ambition, it's very rarely that you're able to identify those feelings. They are actually a, 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 they're a lie that we believe. And, and what happens is James is pointing out that we actually justify them. We actually, they actually become rational. They become like wisdom to us. And we live out a false script in our lives, rationalizing this wisdom. So this is what James is saying. He's pointing out this, that this type of wisdom causes disorder, quarrels, and fights. And, and what, what, what it really is is that jealousy, envy, and selfish ambition become the rationalized wisdom of an orphan heart. Then he points to another type of wisdom. That he says this is the type of wisdom that comes from heaven, that's pure, it's, it's peace-loving, it's considerate, it's submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, it's impartial and sincere. And then he says that peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So here he's echoing the thoughts and writings of Jesus, teachings of Jesus, where he says that blessed are the peacemakers for they are the children of God. And so it's, it's like God is looking over the earth and he's looking for peacemakers and ah, oh, there's one of my kids, sowing peace into the world, sowing peace into the world. And so I would like to suggest that we are actually kind of hardwired for peace. 
Like there's, we are hardwired for a desire for peace in our lives. Would, would anyone agree that, that there's something in us that desires peace, peace in relationships, peace in, our, in the world, peace around us? There's something in us that makes us hardwired for, for peace. Because peace speaks of, of wholeness. It's about the identity, of, uh, the integrity of our identity. Uh, uh, peace speaks about fractured things being put in right. It, it to, and, and it talks about um, order. When things come into order, there is peace. And, and James is pointing out that there are two ways that we can kind of go about trying to get peace in our lives. There are two types of wisdom. One is deceptive and will draw you deeper into chaos and disorder and one is true and pure and peace-loving, considerate and submissive and full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial and sincere. See, this type of wisdom loves peace. This type of wisdom considers context and considers others before themselves. This type of wisdom chooses the low path of humility instead of the high path of self-righteousness. This wisdom is full of mercy and recognizes our own need for mercy every day. This type of wisdom uh, doesn't judge others, but this type of wisdom bears good fruit. This type of wisdom does not pick sides, but is impartial. And this type of wisdom is sincere. You see, as we move into James 4, it's clear that James is needing to address the disorder and disunity that comes from false wisdom. And, and it's quite clear, I think, that James is not interested in who's right or wrong when he's talking about the quarrels and fights. He's interested in the motives and the desires that are causing the quarrels and the fights. He's saying, let's get below the surface and see what is really going on in the, in the heart. Mm. You see, when, when we use false wisdom to, to appear right, um, we could be right, but still very wrong. Yeah, so we could be right, but very wrong. I, I, I had this thought this morning that um, truth, how do we know that truth is having its work in us? If, if we desire truth so that we desire uh, to be right, then we have missed the point. So the, the purpose of truth is not to make us right. The purpose of truth is to make us more loving. And so if we are pursuing truth so that we can be more right, we are misusing truth. Because truth should produce love. That, that's biblical truth. This is what Jesus, this is, what, this is the type of good fruit that, that Jesus desires for our lives. Right, let's, let's, um, let's go back to the garden. So, so in um, Genesis 3, we have the story of, of two trees, two, two types of wisdom, the, the knowledge of good and evil uh, versus the tree of life. And so we have these two trees, and, and Annette read, them, uh, read the story beautifully for us. Um, and, and so we have this idea of, of, of knowledge, of right and wrong, which is actually arrogant independence from God. That's what the tree of knowledge of good and evil was about, arrogant independence from God versus wisdom, which is obedient loyalty or, or trusting obedience in the wills and ways of God. 
And so what happens is when we use people to get our needs met, because this is what's going on, James is talking about the quarrels and fights, he's saying there are desires within you that are battling, and what's ultimately going on is that, that we desire peace, but we are trying to go about getting peace by using and manipulating and abusing others through uh, envy, jealousy, and selfish ambition. And, and so what happens when we use people to get our needs met instead of becoming like God? See, the deception was that, that uh, the, the serpent said to Eve um, that, that if you eat of the fruit, you will become like God. Uh, who was already made in the image and likeness of God? Yeah, Adam and Eve, right? So there's this lie that they've believed. And, and so he says that you will become like God. But what happens is actually instead of becoming like God, they actually become less and less human. They become more animal-like by grasping, taking, stealing, killing, destroying. And, and interestingly, in James, uh, in, in, the, in James 3, when you read it in the Amplified Version, uh, the Amplified Version talks about jealousy, envy, and selfish ambition being animal-like behavior. And so we move on into Genesis 4. We have this, the first story after this. We have Cain and Abel, jealousy. <laughs> what does jealousy produce? Envy. We've got Cain killing Abel. See, the result is jealousy, fear, killing, destroying, dehumanizing each other. This, this is not heaven. The interesting thing, have you ever considered this, that Cain and Abel were competing over something God did not ask for? It never says that God desired an offering or a sacrifice. They were competing and comparing and battling with each other over something God never asked for. See, so often in our lives, we, we compare and compete with one another to try and please an already pleased Father. See, the truth is, is that our good Father is already pleased with us. So these, these uh, envy and jealousy are the emotions of comparison and competition. We looked at that um, last week. All right, so let's, let's move on into the passage that we, we didn't get onto um, last week. So, so James 4, verse 6 to 12. Let me read it for you, uh, and then we'll, we'll unpack it. So James 4, uh, 6 to 12, it says this. Uh, God opposes the proud, but shows grace to the humble. Right? God opposes the proud, but shows grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. And this is the, this is the, the uncomfortable bit. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? 
Right, so it's really important that we remember who is James writing to when uh, he's writing this book. Who is James writing to? He is writing to believers, all right? So he's writing to uh, anyone who professes to follow Jesus. That's who who he's writing to. And so James is not writing to those naughty sinners out there, eh? Like it's really easy for us to go, oh yeah, James is talking about those naughty people out there and they need to listen to this. No, no, James is writing to me. He's writing to me, he's writing to you if you profess to follow Jesus. And he's saying, sinners, double-minded, you've got divided loyalty. You know, earlier in that passage, it says that, that God is jealous for our spirit. He is jealous for you. Come on, this is the only righteous jealousy in Scripture. The jealousy that he has for your heart. And James is saying, your, your loyalty is divided. Well, fix your attention and your affection on him. He is the only one that can meet the desires of your heart. Those desires that are battling within you that he talks about, that are creating conflict and quarreling. Only he can meet those desires. And he is jealous for you. So what's James addressing with this passage? Why is he opening with his idea of, of, of saying sinners and double-minded? What's he addressing? He, he is wanting to bring humility into the heart of the reader. He is wanting to bring humility into my heart, into your heart. And so he is pushing on arrogant independence and pride. That's what he's pushing on, arrogant independence and pride. Uh, I want you to listen, listen to this this morning because, because in this room there will be, there will be two uh, types of people. There will be, there'll be those that, that this will be important for and those that this will feel very uncomfortable, you know, unco- it should be uncomfortable for all of us. But, but listen to this. For those of you who are full of shame this morning, you need to be reminded of this. With Christ, you are everything. With Christ, you are everything. Now, for those of us here this morning that are full of pride, we need to hear this. Without Christ, you are nothing. Without Christ, I am nothing. But with Christ, I am everything. And these are two tensions that we must hold, we must carry, we must walk in humility with. Now James is pressing on one side of this right now. There's some other really nice verses that remind us of, of you know, the other side, but James is pressing on something here. And, and so the reality is this, that the greater the level of pride that we have, the greater the potential for feelings of shame. All right? The greater the level of pride we have, the greater potential we have to feel shame. Uh, But James continues with us. He says, submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. So so how do we come near to God? We come near to God in humility and repentance. Humility and repentance. Um, Oh, we've got questions up there. Sorry, I forgot to say at the start. Questions? Send them to that number there if you've got questions and we'll, we'll answer some questions real soon. Um, so how do we come near to God? In humility and repentance. So, so he says, humble yourselves before God and he will lift you up. Humble yourself before God and he will lift you up. 
And, and so uh, here's, here's the thought that I just want us to maybe um, sit with just a little bit. What, what does it look like to humble ourselves before God? What is humility really like? Um, because there is, there is false humility as well, and we can get caught up in false humility, but what does true humility really look like? Um, so humbling ourselves and getting right with God results in us getting right with people, all right? There, there, there is, um, yeah, so when we are right with people, it will show in the way that we treat them. It will show in the way that we talk about them. But to, to say that I am right with God and then be in relational conflict with others is actually an oxymoron. So, so, so to humble ourselves before God is to also bring us in humility before people and to treat others with the respect and honor that they deserve and the value that they have as, as uh, image bearers of God. So humility towards one another will actually guard us against the, the illusion that we might be right with God. I think that's a really good thought. Humility uh, towards one another will actually guard us against the illusion that we might be right with God, yet evil towards a brother. As John says uh, in 1 John 4 verse 20, he said, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And then he goes on to say that we shouldn't judge one another, that he is the only one that has the right to judge. Um, Now judgment against one another is actually evidence of improper humility towards God. So when we have judgments for others, it's actually evidence of improper humility towards God. Cool. Are we doing all right? I feel like, I feel like we're a little bit... Tell a joke. Tell a joke. <laughs> I don't have any jokes today. Um, this, um, this, this passage in, in James, I realize it's, it's, um, it's not a comfortable way. But this is actually really, really important. It's important because as, as followers of Jesus, we, we are called to be ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven, to be ambassadors of a different way of living, thinking, and acting in our world. And there is only one way that we can do that, and that's in humility. There's only one way we can do that, and that is through Jesus. And, and when we come with self-righteousness, like, I mean, I, I, am, I am grieved, actually, often at um, what, I, what I see online and, and the, the self-righteousness and the judgment that happens. And... Yeah, I'm in a, um, a, a Christian group on Facebook. It's like a New Zealand Christian community group. Um, and I got kicked out of it. <laughs> uh, I don't really know why. Um, <laughs> too much humility. Uh, I'm just, I'm just... I was just so grieved at, at the stuff that was going on in the group. And I was trying to remind people that we follow Jesus and 
that his way is actually different. And we can rationalize our self-righteousness so easy. We can rationalize that wisdom, but it's not the wisdom of heaven. And actually, if we want to bring the kingdom of heaven or, or be a witness to the kingdom of heaven, then we, we must do it the way of Jesus. We must do it the way of Jesus. And, and so this is, this, is, this is so important, so important. I, I hope that we can bring this to a, a good place this morning so we can capture this. I, I, really, I really felt this morning during prayer that this morning would be a, 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 a heart wide open kind of morning that our hearts would be laid bare before him so that he could do a, a deep work in our hearts. And, and I, I think we need to maybe uh, just keep that in our minds here. All right, so, um, so I think maybe the question that we all need to consider or maybe the question that we're asking is, is if we are often finding ourselves othering people, so, so treating them as other to ourselves or, or dehumanizing them, judging them, speaking negatively, slandering, manipulating, tearing down, comparing ourselves to them. Uh, maybe we're feeling uh, feelings of envy and, and jealousy and selfish ambition. If those are the dr driving desires of our heart, what should we do? What should we do? And James puts it there, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. And so he's talking about repentance here, humbling ourselves before God so that he will lift us up. And so here's, here's the point. True repentance is costly. So, so if you wanna follow Jesus in the way of Jesus, that the way of Jesus is, is through the path of repentance, the changing of our mind, and it will cost you. What will it cost us? It will cost us our pride. It will cost our pride. True repentance is always costly, but, but God says that he opposes the proud but shows grace to the humble. See, repentance and humility release grace, but pride withholds it. Do you want more grace in your life? Humility. You want less grace in your life? Pride. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Repentance and humility release grace. Why? Because pride is actually arrogant independence. It's choosing to eat from the wrong tree. It's choosing to live by our own determinations of what's right and wrong, but God actually wants us to live with his wisdom, which is not just about knowing what is right and wrong, but it's the ability to apply that knowledge in a way that brings heaven, not hell. See, this type of pride, it's this, these kinds of thoughts. It's that I don't need you, God. I can do this on my own. I don't care about what others think. I don't care about how my actions affect those around me. I don't need anyone else. But humility and repentance release grace. So what is the role of grace in our lives? Uh, in Titus 2 verse 12, it says this, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. So, so what is grace? Grace is not the power to overlook sin, it is the power to overcome sin. All right, so grace is not the power to overlook sin, it's the power to overcome sin. So humble repentance releases the empowering spirit of grace in our lives so that we can be turned. So repentance looks like this. 
Repentance, the word repentance means to change the mind, all right? And so repentance is first changing the mind, the actions will follow. See, sometimes we, we, we are maybe taught or we, we, we think that repentance is about first changing our actions. No, no, repentance is about, is about first changing our mind and the actions will follow. So, so here's the truth. The truth is that, that God won't change your mind and you can't change your heart. But as I turn, as I change my mind towards him, he will turn my heart. As I change my mind towards him, he will change my heart. Yeah, and now, now I'm starting to walk out of a different desire, out of a different way of thinking, a different way of living, a different way of seeing others, a different way of seeing God. But, it, but it, it's this partnership with you and God. As you turn your mind, he will change your heart. And so as we turn in mind and deed, he turns our hearts. So it's Romans 12 verse two, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then there's this type of, of false repentance, all right, false repentance. Um, let me talk about this and then we're gonna get to questions. Have we got questions? Got two questions, cool. All right, so false repentance. Listen here, if repentance doesn't dislodge pride, then it's probably not repentance. Right, if it is not dislodging pride, it is probably not repentance. So, so Paul describes this, this kind of repentance as worldly grief versus godly grief. In, in Corinthians, he says this in his second letter to the church in Corinth. He says, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. Right, all right, who knows that sometimes we can, we can do something, we can treat someone badly, and we feel sorry about it. We have grief. But is it grief that is leading to repentance? This is what Paul was saying. All right, so he says, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Right, so there's, he, he's saying there's a, there's a true repentance and then there's a false repentance. All right, the, the, uh, the best, I guess, story that we have in the Bible to show us this is the difference between Saul's repentance and David's repentance. All right, so, um, so Saul, I think it's in 1 Samuel 15 or 2 Samuel 15, he, uh, he does something that he's not supposed to do. He, he's disobedient. Um, and uh, the prophet Samuel comes to, to rebuke him and say, you, you know, you've, you've been disobedient to God. Um, and so this is Saul's rep- response. First he deflects, then he tries to blame others, and then in the end he says, I'm sorry, but this is what sorry sounds like. Are you ready? He says this, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. Let me, let me read that again, listen, listen. Listen, I have sinned, right, so admitting, yeah, I've, I've done wrong, yet honor me. <laughs> I've sinned, but can you still make sure that I keep face? Can you still make sure that everyone doesn't know? Yeah, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel. So in front of everyone, can you please make sure that my pride is intact? if we're gonna do this repentance thing. (laughs) Then listen to this. Then return with me that I may bow before the Lord, your God. 
I'm not even going to acknowledge that he's my God. I'll go through the motions. I'll do the repentance thing as long as I save face, as long as my honor is intact, as long as it doesn't cost my pride. And this isn't even my God. Listen to David. David gets caught in adultery. He's murdered. Psalm 51. You can also read it in 2 Samuel 12 or 15. One of them. Have a look. Read the whole book. It's great. Um, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Listen to this, verse 4. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. This whole psalm is this beautiful, poetic repentance. And he, and he ends with this, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Radically different approaches. I mean, you read the two stories and you go, I mean, Saul didn't really do much wrong. <laughs> he just didn't do what he was told. David kills a man, takes his wife. I mean, it's a horrific story, isn't it? You know, like it's horrific. But, but there's this true heartfelt repentance from David. And he acknowledges this, my sin was against you, God. And, and I think we need to remember that when I dehumanize my brother, Scripture says that that is how I treat God. When I judge a brother, I'm judging God. When I slander, when I speak ill, when I tear down a friend or a brother or sister, I am, I'm tearing down God. But as we come in humility, he pours out grace. <laughs> he pours out grace. Grace upon grace. good. It's good. All right, let's, let's have some questions. And the music team can come as well. That'd be great. Um, first question is, what might false repentance look like in this modern time? Yeah, I mean, I pre presume that question came in before I did the Saul David thing. Yeah. <laughs> so that is... That is false repentance. If repentance includes me saving face, me trying to keep my honor, me avoiding the cost of pride, that, that, is, that is not true repentance. It will cost you, yeah. Um, do you think pride is on understanding and we don't want to listen to other people's opinions? James 4, 6. 
Sorry, can you just um, read that again, nice and, nice and loud? Do you think pride is on understanding and we don't want to listen to other people's opinions? James 4, 6. Yeah, totally, yeah. Um, I mean, pride, pride is this, um, I mean, I think that the description of arrogant independence is a, is a helpful description. And when we get into James 5, you'll see that um, James presses in, into that more. Um, and so what can happen is, because we're called into community, we're called to relate to God in community, that, that pride is not just against, it's not just arrogant independence away from God, but it's also arrogant independence uh, in community as well. I, I don't need anyone else. The kind of language of I, I don't need anyone else, I don't care what anyone else thinks, um, this, is, this is all evidence of, of pride because the reality is, is, is that we, we actually do care what other people think, hey. I mean, I don't know a person who genuinely goes through life and, and nothing that anyone else does to them has ever affected their heart. We are human beings with hearts, <laughs> and we are, we are meant to relate to one another in heart-to-heart relationships. And so when someone hurts us, it feels like pain. And we actually need to feel those feelings of pain and then work through them with one another. But arrogant independence and say, what you do doesn't affect me. I don't care about what you say or do. No, no, we're actually called to live this out together in community, yeah. One more. If God was already pleased with his children, Cain and Abel, then why did he judge each other's offerings? Yeah, that's really that's a really really good question. I don't have a good answer for that question. Um, maybe someone can uh, can uh, help me with that at some point. So so my thought on that is it's very clear that God never asked for the offering yet they brought it to him, um, and and it's also clear that God. Uh, um, was more pleased with Cain's offering than he, sorry, with Abel's offering than he was Cain's. Um, why? We could, we could talk about uh, maybe the, the idea of first fruits and all of that sort of can come into that. I'm not really sure, to be honest, but um, uh, for me, it's maybe not the main part of the story. Um, I, think, I think it's actually okay as children to, to bring something to someone and someone to go, oh, I actually like this better than, than what you brought without it affecting our heart. Because what was the purpose of the offering? If the purpose of the offering was to bring an offering, then, then the way it is judged shouldn't actually affect us, if, if you know what it, does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think... Um, yeah, I don't have a great answer for that one, and that is a good question. Something I have pondered before, so yeah, it's good. Oh, Rose, good question. You'd... Yeah. No, no, God didn't want that. I mean, it leads back to the to the arrogant independence of the choices that were made from. Um, Adam and Eve. What the story is showing is the result of autonomy from God and choosing our own wills and ways. The result of that is comparison, competition, jealousy, envy, which leads to killing and destroying one another. That's sort of the, the flow of the story. And then like, it just spirals downwards right through to Genesis 11, just a continual spiral downward of humanity. 
and uh, and then then we've got the flood. So yeah. Cool. All right. We're gonna um, we're gonna share around communion now and and just continue in some worship. And I just wanted to share um, just a, um, a thought from uh, from Jesus and his teaching in in Matthew five on the Sermon on the Mount. Now we've talked about this being Jesus' kingdom manifesto and, and James is reflecting on, on these teachings all the way through the book of James. But um, at the start of his kingdom manifesto, he starts with this idea of, of saying, who, who is the kingdom for? Who is welcome? Who, who is invited to the table? And, and we're gonna gather around the table in a minute, but who, who's actually invited to the table? Who could participate in the kingdom? Who, who will be the ones who are known as his children in the kingdom of heaven? And, and he starts it with this. He calls it the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are those who have it all together. Blessed are those who avoid suffering. Blessed are the proud. Blessed are those who don't care about justice. Blessed are the righteous who cast judgment. Blessed are those who quarrel. Blessed are those who face no persecution. Oh, wait, sorry. <laughs> I'm reading the humanistic version, yeah. <laughs> There's the joke. No, no, let, let me read it from the position of an ambassador of the king and his kingdom. Let me read it from the position of a royal representative. Welcome the poor in spirit, pour out favor on them, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Welcome those who mourn, pour out favor on them, for they shall be comforted. Welcome the meek, pour out favor on them, for they shall inherit the earth. Welcome those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, pour out favor on them for they shall be satisfied. Welcome the merciful, pour out favor on them for they shall receive mercy. Welcome the pure in heart, pour out favor on them for they shall see God. And welcome the peacemakers, pour out favor on them for they shall be called sons of God. Jesus just turned it all on its head. When he was sitting on that mount with people gathered around him, there would have been all sorts of people. There would have been the Pharisees, the religious heroes. Then there would have been those gathered around him who were poor, who didn't have it all together, the religious zeros. And Jesus says, here's my kingdom. Here's what it looks like. And these are the people that are welcome. Not the spiritual heroes. No, the poor in spirit. You're welcome. Not those that have it all together. He says, those who are mourning, those who are grieving, those who are going through the hardest times 
in your life, welcome to the table. Not to those who are righteous and cast judgment. No, to those who are merciful, welcome. Come to the table. not those that are concerned about being right. No, the peacemakers. Welcome peacemakers, come to the table. So this is the invitation of the kingdom. We get to live in it, participate in it. We get to represent it. Let's choose his way, amen. It's different, it's upside down. It can feel unnatural. Thank God we've got the Holy Spirit who empowers us to live, think, and act a different way. Let's come to the table this morning. Why don't we stand, and I'm gonna pray, and we're gonna respond this morning in worship. We're gonna respond in communion together. But I want us to think about those the Beatitudes about those ideas that Jesus presents, these are the people that I welcome to the table. And I want you to think about those for yourself and think about which one of those am I actually living opposite to right now? Am I coming to Jesus in my arrogant independence? In my I've got it all right? I've got it all sorted, attitude, or are we coming with humility? We're coming low before him so that he can lift us up. Come on, this is the kind of church that I love to be around. These are the kind of people that demonstrate Jesus wherever they go. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. Oh God, we thank you. We thank you that when you call us to yourself, you don't ask us to bring anything to the table. There's nothing that we can add that makes us better. There's nothing that we can do that makes us more clean. There's nothing that we can do that that makes us more worthy or more holy or better than anyone else. And God, I'm so thankful for that. Because if that is how we lived and thought, then we would compare ourselves to each other. Thank you, you did not call us into a kingdom of comparison, but a kingdom of grace, a kingdom of mercy, a kingdom of love, where where we are not trying to get our needs met in one another, but we are getting our needs met in you, in your love and in your grace and in your mercy. We thank you, Father, that you are the one with your arms wide open saying, come to the table. Come to the table, leave everything behind. You don't need to bring it. Come, I don't require anything of you, just come. Yeah, we thank you that that is the simplest way to live. Father, we we acknowledge and we recognize that all the stuff that we add on complicates our lives the comparison and the competition, the judging and the the tearing down and the envy and the jealousy, they, they add no value to our lives. Father, we thank you that they are not 
of your kingdom. And so that today we come in humility and we, we lay those things down. Father, we wanna pick up your life. We wanna live your life. We thank you that your burden is light. Your yoke is easy. Your way of living, thinking and acting is easy on us. Yeah, we thank you for the weight of that old yoke. Oh, just shake it off. It didn't fit anyway. It was uncomfortable. It weighed us down. It, it caused chaos and disorder. It didn't, it didn't bring beauty and, and life. Shake it off at the cross. We shake it off at the cross. And we pick up your yoke, your way, your will. We thank you, Father. Yeah, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Father. Yeah. Let's respond. Let's come to the table. Let's share in communion. Let's worship.